Thank you for joining us and welcome back to the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. This week, Kyle is going to tell us all about an incredible luxury off-road vehicle, and we even have an exclusive interview from the event he attended. In the news, there are two huge F1 stories, and we will have a special guest joining us to discuss them and all of the fallout that has happened. Plus, we're talking about a new vehicle that isn't really all that new, and we have a really cool off-road truck that we tested in its element. Then we will give you a little sneak peek of what's to come, including two cool, or maybe cold, trips ahead. But first, a word from our sponsor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, to start this week, we're going to talk about the biggest uh, stories that we published. And there's none probably bigger than Mazda finally introducing their all-new SUV, the CX-70. Although, it's not really as new as we were hoping. No, no, it isn't. Uh, we saw it digitally, but we know a lot of our colleagues got to see it in person. And as far as everyone can tell, it's just the CX-90 without two rows or without two seats in the back third row. Yeah, um, like I looked at the picture side by side because I wrote up the digital article and you can see the front bumper and the rear bumper are slightly different in the front that has like these big fake intakes uh, on the side and in the back, the reflector area is different. And in the images it looked like maybe the trunk was a little more rigged like it wasn't as bubbly but we didn't see it in person and from what we've heard it's pretty much the same i mean when it comes out everyone's going to be putting them side by side but we were really hoping for a you know like maybe a, a 7 8 uh scale version of the vehicle with two rows that would be sportier with the the powertrains because that's the only thing that mazda's confirmed is that it will have the turbo inline six and the plug-in but again no numbers but i mean Pretty safe to say it'll be the same. Pretty safe to say they'll all be all-wheel drive, have an eight-speed automatic. So, yeah. Maybe they'll be really, really true to the theme here, and all the horsepower figures will just be minus two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's too bad because, like, the CX-90 is really good, but the transmission and engine sometimes fight each other, and I'm sure that's just something that can be worked out over time but it's also kind of heavy. And what's this going to say? Not that much weight. Like a third row of seats isn't that much. Now, in the press photos, the truck is huge. So it will carry a lot of stuff. But again, we were, I was hoping for more of a Murano Ford Edge size vehicle. And we kind of got more of a RX type vehicle, which mm -hmm. leads us to our next story. Yes. This was you, so, Kyle. Yeah. So we decided, I mean, leading up to this, and it's a very anticipated vehicle, we would take a look at the whole category and kind of figure out what were the top five, really the vehicles that you'd be most likely to cross shop that exist currently, what you do against the CX-70. And so we tried to cover a pretty broad uh, spectrum here. And we have things like the Honda Passport, which is very adventure focused. And maybe, just maybe, Mazda might make a Meridian edition of this. But the other things are, are pretty standard. I mean, Lexus RX, that is the popular friendly luxury suv with two rows 
I'm not entirely sure if the Mazda will match up, but I mean, based on the CX-90, the cabin's pretty swanky. So that looks good. The Jeep Grand Cherokee is really great because it covers just such a wide, wide range of models. You can get the everyman kind of lower trims, or you can go super fancy and have a night vision equipped V8 model. And you have the L's now, the super long ones. So that's, I mean, that's more of a 90 competitor, but. Yes. And now that I just thought about it, the V8 is only available in the L still, and probably only for like a year based on how Stellantis is killing them. Yeah, I mean, when that Grand Cherokee gets the Hurricane engine, that'll be awesome. Because, I mean, in the 7,000-pound Grand Wagoneer, it was pretty good. So, mm -hmm. But anyway, back to the, the CX-70. Yeah, um, like X5, uh, GLE would make sense. But price-wise, it's not really there. So you're looking at sort of their smaller competitors. It's kind of like getting uh, a premium vehicle a size smaller. But other than the RX, like Buick, Volvo, Acura, they don't make... SUV is that big with just two rows. Like they all go three row by the time you get there. Mm -hmm. And another great segue, we'll go to a vehicle that has three rows that you just got to drive. Uh, I mean, I feel like I need to uh, install a pretty sizable asterisk there. Um, well, not too sizable because otherwise it won't actually fit in the third row. The, the GX I drove in Arizona uh, last week. We published the first drive. It is a very cool vehicle and I had a ton of fun with it. And it's one of those off-roaders where I spent multiple parts of the day taking photos. It's it's just a really impressive vehicle to take pictures of and to drive. It's nice. I wish there was a hybrid, but otherwise I think it's really good. And as Lexus pointed out, it's one of the few remaining body on frame luxury SUVs out there. And so they're thinking now that they have the TX that kind of distances it and people who want families, they can get that. And people who want more adventure, they'll get this. I think this is actually going to do better than they expect because off-roading is huge. Everyone is rushing to get even more off-road focus trims out there. So yeah, I, I think Lexus is underestimating the hit that they have on their hands with the GX. I got three questions for you, but first it's not so much off-roading is huge. It's looking like you off-road is huge. I don't think too many GXs will go off-road until maybe the second, third, or fourth owner gets a, their hands on it. That's true. That would be traditional, right, for the GX? <laughs> so my first question is, uh, I said it's a small three-row. Is it like Mitsubishi Outlander size, or is it a little bigger like Kia Sorento, like GMC Acadia? Like, where is it with that third row? Uh, it's worse. Then um, it might be around where the Outlander, Outlander is in terms of space. It's a really, really tight third row. And because of how it's set up, I was in the Premium Plus when I explored the third row. And that is a manual folding third row. And so you have to pull up the back seat. But then also the cushion is just in line with the ground. And you have to grab a handle and pull that out. And it adds maybe four inches of uh, height between the cushion and the floor of the vehicle. So you're sitting there and your knees are just right up. And I guess technically in terms of leg room, it's not terrible where, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I'm touching the seats, but I'm not crammed in there. It's just that it's so high up. And that was the, the trouble for me. And I think Lexus even knows that it's not the primary purpose anymore because the overtrail, that cool looking one in the lead photo there, that's a two row only trim. I was going to ask about that. Okay. And then my other question is, I mean, this is something we've talked about a lot with this GX and the Land Cruiser, 
like where's the forerunner gonna go because it was always the body on frame SUV this size so are they gonna go more hardcore with it like i can't imagine they'd ever drop that name it's such an iconic name um, mm-hmm. it's become like a, a crossover i don't know it'll be interesting to see i think it leaves them open to make a real like you know 35 inch tire going after the wrangler um bronco type vehicle which would be awesome but i would i would have called that land cruiser and make the forerunner what the land cruiser is but yeah, it's a, it's a tough little conundrum. And I mean, there are people at Toyota that get paid a lot of money to figure these things out. And I'm excited to see what they do with it. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking at where Land Cruiser starts in terms of price and where Forerunner ends, where the Bronco and Wrangler sit. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for a dramatic change for the Forerunner, like you said, but I can't imagine they're just going to do nothing with it. But there will be a new one, right? But where it lands, I'm fascinated to find out. Yeah, I mean, even if they made something FJ Cruiser-like and called it a forerunner, like that could be cool. Mm-hmm. All right, well, sticking with the off-road theme, uh, this is an article for one of our freelancers, Lee Bailey. He took the Chevrolet Colorado ZR2 Desert Boss from Toronto to Detroit and back in the middle of winter. Um, that's a lot of highway. This is not a highway vehicle, but he did have he does have a trail near his place that he tests these all out. So we got to take it on it. And he was very impressed with his off-road capability. And I mean, that's good. That's what it's meant to to be. Like this is sort of a, it's maybe not quite a Raptor, Ranger Raptor competitor, but it's definitely more than say a Tremor. So it's it's in a Chevy's most off-road based vehicle. The the one thing that shocked me was this has the big four-cylinder turbo. So the 310 horsepower, and I think it's like 430 pound feet, but it gets 16 miles per gallon in the city. And it gets 16 miles per gallon on the highway. It's dead even. There's so much drag on this thing. When you do highway speeds, it doesn't improve. So cool, you have this powerful four-cylinder, but maybe even a V8 would make more sense here. Like I can't think of another truck that size that does that bad on the highway. Are you saying LT swap? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even like the the old three, well, the new down on power. But yeah, I mean, the engine's tremendous, but it's just... You can't make power for free, even if it's a smaller engine. If you're making that much power, like you need the the fuel. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we hope to drive this down the road and we'll have some more insight at that point. But Lee was quite impressed, and he said even on the highway it actually behaved really well. Which uh, he said like it was like any truck, um, whereas some off roaders, some Jeep Wrangler, aren't great highway cruisers. No. All right, and then the final uh, big story of the week was me. I took another spin in the uh, Mazda CX-50 Meridian, the the size smaller, because we drove this about a year and a half ago against the Forester, and we both agreed this was the model to buy because, yeah, it's got that rugged look, but because of that and the way the suspension's tuned and the all-terrain tires that are on smaller wheels, it had a much better ride, and that's always been my biggest complaint with the CX-50 is it's, it looks amazing, the engine's torquey, the interior's amazing, but it was like a sports car and you're in an SUV. Now, from November on, all the 24 bills have a revised damper and steering, I think. So I'm really curious to see what that's like. I don't think this was from that period yet, and I don't know if it applies to the Meridian either, but driving this again, I yeah, it has had a giant um, tent on the roof, so I had a little wind noise, but other than that, like I could totally see myself in it. I still don't always feel like, that engine has 320 pound feet of torque, but other than that, it's it's a well put together package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked it when we drove it that time back in 2022. Uh, and yeah, it, it looks great. Like you said, I just, uh, yeah, 
I um I lost my train of thought there. I really wanted to mention something else about oh, now I remember. We were just talking about how more people are buying vehicles that look like they can go off-road. Now maybe this is a bigger subject for another podcast, but do you think they're buying it because yeah, the off-road packages just ride better? <laughs> I could be. I mean, you do get the trade-off of road noise. This one, the all terrains aren't that loud, but I've been in some where I'm like, uh, the Rock Creek, the Pathfinder Rock Creek, you could hear those tires, but but it's funny because this one uh, it has to do with the styling, but it actually has fractionally less ground clearance than a regular CX50, which kind of defeats the purpose. But it does have the all terrain tires, so you don't get stuck. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's it for this. We'll we'll be back in a sec with uh, the news of the week. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to get into the news. We have a special guest joining us, Collinwood VP of Content at Vertical Scope, um, one of our bosses that insisted he be on the show today. So. We welcome him, but he is uh, very knowledgeable about the biggest news by far this week that really kind of caught everyone by surprise. And that is Lewis Hamilton is leaving Mercedes and going to Ferrari. Now, he's always said he wanted to race for a Ferrari, but announcing it over a year in advance is, I don't think it's ever happened before. Like, I know silly season seemed weird when, you know, people would say they're leaving the team and they had six more races. He has an entire season. It's, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, it's crazy. Th thanks for having me, by the way. It's very exciting. I guess maybe I forced myself upon you. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is crazy news uh, in the Formula One world, right? Like uh, I was just actually reading this morning. Uh, his contract is for $100 million a year, which is wild. Uh, and to give some context, uh, the second is Verstappen and he's making $55 million a year. So he's almost making double uh, the next guy. So it's it's pretty huge. And I think like I go back, I look at the stories and uh, he, he's been quoted in the past as saying it's sort of every F1 driver's dream to race for a Ferrari, right? So um, I think that's probably true for most of them. Um, often it seems, you know, we all think of Schumacher, right? And, and the success, but not everybody's had the success that Schumacher has, right? Yeah, I can think of another uh, dominating champion who went to Ferrari and had zero success before he finished his career off at Aston Martin. Um, yeah, like Hamilton's almost 40, so I get it. He probably knows like he's only got so many seasons left, so he wants to finish his career. And I mean, Ferrari spending that money, it's this is a completely different sport, but it's like Otani going to the Dodgers. They're going to market his name with Ferrari merchandise like crazy, and they'll make all that money back in like every year for sure. Like, it'll be Ferrari, uh, did, Hamilton, everything. Did, did you see? So, uh, uh, Karun Chandok, one of the like Sky Sports presenters, he tweeted something out yesterday that I don't know if it's you know, 100% sort of uh, the, you know, causation versus correlation, but uh, effectively the news happened, right? And Ferrari, which is a publicly traded company, their stock price went up and it went up a market cap uh, equivalent of $4 billion yesterday. Wow. So basically he paid for himself big time immediately. Uh, presumably that's the only news that drove that stock market change, right? So I think there's a lot of uh, excitement or even more excitement around Ferrari than normal right now. So, so yeah, so what so, you're saying is, yeah. oh, sorry, Mike. No, go, go ahead, go. I was just going to say, so we don't have to feel bad for the poor Ferrari owners who might see a price increase on next year's cars. <laughs> yeah. Never, never have to feel sorry for them, I don't think. Oh, but wait for the Lewis Hamilton version of every car they make. That's coming for sure. Uh, yes, the but, 44 um, edition. Yeah. Yeah. So to the fallout, so Hamilton was signed for two more years. So somehow he's out of that 25 contract with Mercedes. Um, again, like the timing, it must have it had to have leaked. There's no way 
Mercedes and Ferrari were like, hey, let's announce this before, right before we unveil our cars. And for him and then obviously Carlos Sainz and Ferrari, like they're going to be told nothing all year about the next year's car because why would they? So it's it'll be awkward. And then more follows. So Carlos put out a, um, a statement saying he's gone after next year. I'm sure he'll get picked up, but I don't necessarily think he'll just be like a swap and go to Mercedes. So like, where's he going to show up? And then the next question is who's going to go to Mercedes? I mean, uh, Colin, who do you think? I got some ideas. Actually. So, 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 so my, my pick for Mercedes, I think is going to be Alex Albon. Um, mm-hmm. That's my, so uh, Albon, I think is done. He had an amazing year. Uh, so crazy enough. I, I could be wrong on this. I think, in the constructors championship, uh, Williams was seventh overall, which sounds terrible, but it's Williams, which, you know, and then you look at it and all of the points scored by Williams were scored by Albon. So basically he lifted that team. Like if, if they had somebody else other than Sargent, like if they had somebody else who was really competing along the level of Albon last year, could Williams have been like sixth, fifth in the championship? Like that's, that's pretty impressive for them. So I think it's probably him also knowing that Williams has in many respects been a feeder team for Mercedes. I know that's not official and, you know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. quite like uh, whatever racing bulls or, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever they're called, cash know, app. Exactly. Money, whatever, whatever. Whatever the, yeah, whatever they're called. But, but I feel like he's probably the most likely to go there um, unless I know there's rumors of some uh, potential rookies in the wings and stuff like that. I just, I just don't, I, I don't think that George Russell is senior enough to see sort of come in and be tutoring a rookie. I think George has still got, uh, you know, his eye on the prize and he wants to be number one. So uh, I think they'll find somebody else similar to him. So what do you, what do you think? So this is, so there's always been rumors of Lando going to Mercedes and that would be my number one pick, but he just signed a massive extension with McLaren and McLaren's pretty competitive. So I don't see him getting out or Mercedes buying it out. But his teammate showed tremendous speed for first-year rookie, and I could totally see Mercedes trying to pick him off after this year because I don't know how long his contract is, but I can't imagine it's long. And Piastri could be like a good second person to George. And then you have two pretty young guys that you know you're locked up with Mercedes for like the next decade if they want it. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I I'd actually probably go after Piastri if I was them. I think he's he's movable, um, and uh, yeah, he he was extremely impressive as a rookie we've seen a lot of rookies come and you know they kind of oh after their third year they finally start to show some promise like he he was did he won one of the sprints i think he was exceptional Mm -hmm. like he was a uh there's a i know my sort of family and friend group that all cares about formula one they have a big hate on for him because of how the whole situation went down when he joined the team and it was a little dirty and i'm just like at the end of the day you know it's business and and sometimes you've got to play kind of uh you got to kind of play rough to, you know, land out on top. And uh, I, I can't really blame him too much for that. So uh, my, my big thing is going to be yeah. what happens with, uh, um, with science. Like where does, where does he go? Um, and, and my, my theory is uh, maybe Red Bull. Um, I, I think he's uh, at the end of that next year, there, there's rumors of potentially like Audi when Audi shows up, but uh, you know, he was a Red Bull like junior driver. And then when you look at uh, his his father, Carlos Sainz Sr., uh, is also a Red Bull tie driver who actually just won the Dakar race, um, racing for a Audi slash Red Bull team there. So there's a whole lot of Red Bull love in the Sainz family. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up there. So, Well, uh, you brought up how Piastri's 
originally got into F1. So that's another reason that he could just jump teams. But if he jumped teams, I could also open the door for a Lando Carlos reunion. He could go back to McLaren and, you know, they're pretty competitive now. So anyway, um, before we quickly move on, the cynics, uh, me included to a degree, think this news got leaked or told because they were trying to take the spotlight off of F1 denying Andretti Cadillac, which it's 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 a money move and it, it's dumb. But I will say the Andretti Cadillac shouldn't have been trying to get in for 25. They should have gone straight for 26. Like why try to get in with the old car? I know they wanted to use it as like a learning curve, but you probably had a better chance getting in 26. Now they got to wait to 28 and apparently the door's open, but F1 will figure another way to not let them in because those who are in there want to keep their money and they don't want to share. So, Yeah, I think they're just trying to keep them out. Um, they don't have any interest in it. I, I do I do get the argument. Like I, I, as much as I want to see Andretti there, I get the argument that Formula One's at their zenith right now. Um, and they're just like, well, you want to be here with the cool kids when we're at our coolest. Um, I, I, I appreciate that as a business, um, Formula One, uh, Andretti has way more to gain right now than Formula One does. But I do think long-term, like right now we've seen this huge, huge increase in interest in, in Formula One, uh, drive to survive, uh, you know, packed grandstands in the States. Everybody's really excited about it, right? But that won't last forever. Uh, I don't think so. Like maybe it will, maybe I'm wrong, but but I feel like there's a sort of a temporary spike. It, it'll come back down. Uh, and when that spike comes back down, if, if you want to maintain interest in American audience, you could do that with an Andretti. Um, you, you, you know, real quality shows through. I look at, you know, I look at the Miami GP and the Vegas GP and those are exciting and cool, right? But but uh, you look at what they built in Austin at Circuit of the Americas and that'll still be here for years to come. People will still love that race. It's got authenticity. It's it's a real driver's track. And I think that shows through. So I see like a similar piece there. So yeah, I think Cadillac will get in eventually for sure. If they go follow through and build the powertrain because there'll be a, maybe another team wants it or some of the current powertrain makers disappear. Like 26, I think will be huge with the start. But what about three years after that? When some teams like jumped in or like, I don't see the investment in like, Audi pulls out or Porsche or Ford, whoever has been rumored to come in. But yeah, sure, right. but before, before you cut me off, I have, I have a question for you guys. Will, will Hamilton actually win here? Is this, will he regret this move? Like, what do you guys think? Will, will this be a great success for him? Or is this going to be kind of just like a, a fade away? I, I think, I think he'll be the way the cars are now. It's obviously a better move. The Ferrari showed way more speed last year than the Mercedes. Uh, I think it was sort of Hamilton and and um, Charles's, not Charles, uh, George Russell's talent that got them what they did get. So if all things are equal in two years, then yeah, I think it'll give him a chance to win more. But that was sort of how the it looked when Vettel joined. And then Ferrari went into sort of some down years. But as, as long as they don't go into down years and they obviously adapt to the 26 regulations. Yeah, I think I think that's what he's really looking at is, you know, 26, it's a new playing field. All this advantage Red Bull has is gone. And if Ferrari can nail it, then off he goes. So, Yeah, I guess it it's a better than nothing. And maybe he thought the Mercedes was nothing, right? Like it just wasn't going to happen. So um, I'd like to see more good from, a, you know, it's more drivers in winnable cars makes the sport way better, right? So mm-hmm. very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on. Um, well, I'm really looking forward to this year. And I mean, the Drive to Survive producers are probably, you know, it's just going to be the Hamilton Carlos show, I think, for this season and all the trauma yeah. or drama that's going to be around them. But 
yeah, right, they'll we'll be talk to you out. soon. Thanks so much. If you ever want to have me on to talk Formula One, I'm more than happy. Oh, I'm sure there'll be big stories this year. So we'll <laughs> yeah. see you later. Thanks, Colin. Thanks. All right. We took up a lot of time on that news, so we'll just get through the last couple stories quick. So the first one is Ford has claimed that as long as there's a Mustang, like the pony car, there will always be a V8, which is like, great, but how long is it going to be a Mustang? Um, like the Mach-E doesn't count, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many rumors that there's going to be a hybrid version, like basically just following the Corvette play book of, mm-hmm. you know, there there may be a hybrid version. There might be an all-electric Mustang, not a Mach-E, but an actual Mustang. I think, sure, they can build a V8 for as long as they're able to legally. Uh, they'll just probably sell it in really tiny numbers and maybe charge a fortune for it. Yeah, or like the Mustang Rocky, the the name will just become like a sub brand, and there'll be all these like Mustang this, Mustang that, and I mean the Dodge killed the Challenger and Chevy killed the Camaro because they couldn't continue with the V8s as they were, and they kind of knew they had to. I mean the names could come back in something else, but as they were, yeah. And another good news for those who like driving is the manual transmission is finally in the Z4, something that just made sense ever since the Super got it. But I'm kind of excited because I. I kind of like this car a little more. It's a drop top and a super you can't see out of so well. And yeah, it's, I'm just, I can't wait to try one. Same. I've never driven this generation of uh, Z4. And yeah, I, I prefer the super looks personally, but I also love a drop top. And if this has a manual as good as the one in the Supra, then yeah, this will be probably one of the best driving cars uh, of the year, if that's the case. Yeah. And, and I mean, I saw, I think it's 3,500 in the US for the package that gives it to you, but it's not going to be unreasonable for, yeah, it's like only the M40. It's not an M4 or M, or whatever you call it, the MZ4. It's still a lot of power, especially for a manual. It, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And our last little bit is something for all the Honda owners out there. I don't think I've ever heard a manufacturer doing this before where they're just free of charge going to upgrade any Honda built between 2018 and 2022, I actually think it's certain models, to wireless Android Auto and wireless uh, CarPlay. So good for them and good for the owners. That's a great way to build a lot of uh, brand loyalty. And it's a it's a fairly minor move, but yeah, huge payoff. You're right. And for them, I mean, they probably engineered this anyway, so it's not costing them money on every car. It's coming into the dealer. Maybe they're covering that for free, but it's like you plug and play. And then if the car's at the dealership, Maybe there's some other things that need to be fixed. So yeah, I think it's win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's it for the news. Uh, I am going to go away for a bit because Kyle is going to uh, do his interview now that he recorded a little earlier. And we'll be back with some questions and what's ahead after that. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Do you remember your first car? I sure do. I was fresh out of university and I wanted nothing more than a car. So I went to some dealers with two things in mind. I wanted a Tudor coupe and I wanted a manual transmission. After looking around, I finally ended up with a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero coupe with a five-speed manual and a four-cylinder engine. A lot of people didn't understand why I bought that car, but I loved it. I would take it everywhere. I also wanted to modify it. I put a lot of parts on that didn't work. I put on some wheels and they ended up ripping apart my rear brakes and I had to get rid of them. My intake, my exhaust, my suspension, and some interior bits were all custom made. It would have helped so much if there was some sort of way that I could get guaranteed parts for my car back then. Another thing I loved to do with the car was I would take it drag racing. 
I do low 15 seconds and thought I was so fast, which I wasn't. But you know what? I was having a blast and I was getting to run the car harder than I was allowed to on the street. I also went to a lot of charity car shows, road trips, and weeks up at the cottage. I had the car for almost two years until one day it was written off in a snowstorm in Detroit by a mail truck. It was a sad day and I really missed that car. One day, maybe I'll get another Alero, but for now, I'll just have good memories of this car and how much fun I had with it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So welcome back to the Auto Guide podcast. And right now we have a special guest here. We are live at the Lexus GX event. So I'm just gonna let him introduce himself. Hi, uh, Greg Kitsons, General Manager of Lexus Product and Consumer Marketing. And happy that you're here. Same, I mean, it's any opportunity to get out of Toronto in January and come to a warmer place is... Uh, well, you're lucky because the weather's really cooperating today, unlike the last couple of days where it's been just pouring rain. Yeah, it's been gorgeous outside and we've already done the off-roading portion and so it's just about lunch and so I thought I'd uh, ask Greg a few questions Great. about GX. So I guess to start, I mean, it's no secret that the GX was a little old previously. Mm -hmm. And so I want to ask you, can you walk us through this dramatic design change? And also, you know, since that old one lasted forever, when did you really decide on this, uh, this boxier look? Well, I think, um, you know, when talking to the chief engineer and some of the designers, uh, this has been in, in the works for a long, long time. Um, but, but one of the reasons um, it maybe took a little bit longer than we'd like it to is the development of a whole new platform, the GAF platform that this is built on. Uh, so we wanted to make sure to take advantage of that and keep GX a body-on-frame vehicle because it's so important to um, not, not only uh, the durability and reliability and towing capacity of this vehicle, which we can talk a little bit more about, but also for the overlanding community, um, they want a body-on-frame vehicle because it just gives them, uh, you know, a much better, you know, sturdier, uh, rigid platform in which to to, to base their adventures on. Mm -hmm. Would you say that boxy is just since this was a very deliberate choice, or do you think that's just kind of a trend in the market these days with boxier um, styling? No, I think this was very surprising for Lexus, to be quite honest with you. And I think um, when um, we looked at the role that GX played in the past, um, it, it was that kind of three-row SUV. Uh, a lot of families used that vehicle. Um, it it kind of got this grassroots credibility in the overlanding community as a vehicle that people were using to outfit and take take off-road and take overlanding. Uh, you know, Gen 1 and Gen 2, both you see a ton of those vehicles out there. Sure. Um, but with the introduction of TX and uh, a full three-row SUV that TX now comes into the marketplace, it gave us the ability to get a little bit more aggressive with GX um, and build two new you know, grades, uh, Overtrail and Overtrail Plus, that are really designed to focus on that overlanding community. Mm -hmm. And you know, since you're mentioning, mentioning Overtrail now, I'm gonna skip ahead on some questions that I okay. had for later because I mean, that's 
that's the big draw here. I mean, we're driving all the other trims, but Overtrail I just got out of. And so I want to ask you, you know, there's such a, a major sustained demand for this sort of factory off-roading, more overlanding kind of approach. Mm -hmm. And so has Lexus really seen that in the last few years? And also, I mean, how are you approaching the post sales or the, fa uh, the dealer installed options approach when it comes to this new GX? So, um, you know, when we first heard about the idea of two new grades that were really focused on uh, overlanding and off-roading, um, we went out to that community. Um, so we went out to Overland Expos and some of those events, and um, we brought some outfitted GXs, current gen, uh, and we brought the new LX to that. And um, it was great to see the response, not only from the community, but we also learned a lot. We learned that, um, one, there were so many of those, Gen 1 and Gen 2 out there that people had outfitted and just looked at it as such a capable vehicle, and two, provided a level of luxury that they wanted because an important point is they just didn't have this as their separate off-roading vehicle. They had to use it during the week mm -hmm. with, you know, with their family and hauling the kids to school or soccer practice or whatever. And then, you know, on the weekends or vacations is when they, they loaded that up and, you know, took it off-road. So we learned things that um, were very important that, hey, they wanted still to be a, a very, very capable vehicle, but they still wanted the ability to use it every day. Um, so when we, you know, when we built the Overtrail versions, it starts with kind of the 33-inch tires and the 18-inch wheels, right? But we worked with Toyo Tire to develop a tire that had thicker sidewalls to prevent from punctures while you're off-road and, you know, with, with rocks and such. But also to be very, very quiet on road. So when you're driving it during the week, you're not having to put up with, you know, those all-terrain tires making a lot of noise and impacting your MPG. We worked hard with Toyo to develop this tire that you can, uh, as you can experience, um, does a great job, he has two personalities on and off road. Yeah, I would say uh, I drove it out to the trail this morning and um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of are surprised that it is a body on frame driving it, even this over trail model where yeah. it's it's very smooth and very quiet on the road and still on the trail, I mean, it conquered everything that we saw today pretty easily. The, the other point, um, I think the, the boxy, you said the more boxy design of this, the more aggressive, uh, rugged design of this also has some very functional benefits. If, if you look at the hood design, um, the left and right edges are elevated with, you know, kind of a, um, a, a, um, a lowered center. Th those ridges actually provide you uh, a very clear view of where the corners of the vehicle are, as well as where, where the tire um, you know, tread is going. So you can kind of point the vehicle exactly on the trail where you want to be. So it has, you know, that advantage. We also lowered um, and made a very horizontal dashboard to, to really provide a lot of great visibility out, out the front, mm -hmm. as well as the sides have tremendous visibility with those very upright mirrors um, that don't have to be out as far that, you know, branches could be impacted can impact it with, uh, and their power too. So you can bring them in instantly if you're in a narrow situation where you wanna uh, you know, deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's noticeable when you're sitting in the back row when you see how low the window line is when it's that close to your knee and it really does help with the visibility. And um, you're talking about the tire treads, the, uh, the camera view that shows the tires 
on the center screen is we use that a whole bunch outside and I feel like that's a, a really great thing for building driver confidence. Yeah, the multi-terrain monitor, when you switch into low, that comes onto the screen automatically, right? So you have a view of the front, you have that under chassis view, you have the rear view, and then you also have the two sides so you can really understand, um, you know, where you want to position the vehicle uh, on the trail. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Craig. I have one other question for you. Okay. Maybe two. Maybe two. We'll see how this plans out. But uh, how, since this is on the new platform, how did you go about differentiating GX from LX and from Land Cruiser? Well, I think, um, you know, GX has always been very important in the Lexus lineup. Um, but from a positioning standpoint, we wanted the ability to attract Conquest buyers to it. So with the addition of TX um, as, you know, our third three-row SUV, GX and LX, um, they each play a very different role in our lineup and have a very, very different personality. You know, TX is that full three-row family hauler. Um, LX is our top-of-the-line luxury version, um, you know, the ultimate, uh, you know, in, in luxury but also capability. And GX kind of in, you know, fits in that middle space, um, more affordable, uh, much higher volume for us. Mm -hmm. um, and it also gave us a platform in which to not only build from the base grade of premium and premium plus, a luxury and a brand new luxury plus grade, as well as the two new Overtrail and Overtrail plus grade. So it really helped um, broaden our appeal in the marketplace. Uh, and provide a vehicle that we think can exceed um, those owners' expectations. Well, on that note, I feel like uh, there's one final question then in terms of broadening that is, uh, you know, it's, it's a little strange to see uh, Lexus launch without a hybrid model. So can you uh, explain the decision there? Yes, yeah, so we're in the U.S. We're launching without a hybrid model, um, although we have announced the fact that we will have a hybrid version in the future. Um, China, for example, is launching with only a hybrid version, uh, but more to come on that, and <laughs> hopefully uh, you know, we'll be able to share more on that as soon as possible. Well, thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for explaining so much about GX, and uh, yeah, thanks for being on our podcast and having us at this event. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for being here. Excellent. Thanks, Kyle. That was very insightful. Um, that's another vehicle I can't wait to get behind the wheel. Uh, I'm sure we'll put it in a comparison and do some other driving with it in the future, um, especially if it's as successful as you think it is. And there's obviously going to be the Land Cruiser versus GX comparisons down the road. So, yeah, I look forward to it. Same. All right. So moving on to questions, uh, we did have a, a sort of a comment more than a question, and it begs the question that uh, uh, we can discuss. So we had a, a viewer say that he wished the Santa Fe came with um, just two rows and he would buy one in a second. And that is interesting. Um, it seems to be a trend right now. Like the GX, you do get the two rows in that off-road version. But the Land Cruiser, mm -hmm. I don't believe there's an option. The Santa Fe, there's not an option. And these are like more medium-sized than the bigger three rows. So like I said, these people that design them are very smart and they have all the knowledge. So I guess there's a big market for people with smaller SUVs that want a, a third row in a pinch for kids and whatnot. But I'm just surprised there's not an option not to have it. I, I obviously, it's more tooling at a factory, but that much, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, Land Cruiser, that's like we just talked about, one of the ways that they're going to differentiate, right? And so keeping it two row only kind of makes sense. And after I experienced the third row, I don't blame them. But um, 
this is a this is an interesting take because I feel like it tends to be the other way around where people want a third row or they won't buy because in this situation with the Santa Fe, I mean, you can just drive with the seats down all the time. And then it is a two row uh, and it's a flat load floor. So it doesn't really matter. But um, I mean, yeah, it's, I guess, yeah, there's, there's a bigger market, like you said. Yeah. I, I've heard the argument to, to what you said is people say, well, the seats take up a little bit of the space. So you don't have quite as much cargo space and I get it, but it's not like, I think the old days where they really stuck up. No. So, sorry, I think I might have had it wrong. So Land Cruiser doesn't have a third row? Land Cruiser does not. It is two row only. Oh, it's two row only. And then the GX has it all except for their off-road version. Exactly. Well, that makes a new 4Runner even more difficult to place. But anyway, we'll <laughs> wait and see. Yeah. All right. So I have a quick question for you on the spot. So I have my answer already prepared because I made the question. So uh, I'll go first while you think. Um, all right. What car currently on sale do you think deserves a performance version? And what I mean is something that theoretically wouldn't be that hard to do. So this is my pick. Okay. Hyundai has their N. They have the N Veloster. They have currently the Kona and the Elantra. Uh, and I mean like a full and not an N line. I think they should take the Santa Cruz and make an N Santa Cruz. You could slam the pickup truck down, put in that turbo engine. I know it's only for front drive, which... It'd be cool if they can make it all. But even front, I think it's still like it would be this performance pickup and then you'd open up that whole market of customizers that would, you know, you, you got a, a good starting point. And it's already kind of pricey, so it might rationalize its price more. Okay. All right. The return of the street truck. That's your, I thought you were going to say um, Palisade and because I know they did that as an April Fool's render a few years ago and it looked kind of cool. Uh, so, but Santa Cruz power decreased. <laughs> That'd be like, here's a smaller, less powerful engine in the Palisade. But yeah, Santa Cruz. I mean, it already has a two liter, so you just you know get rid of that drive shaft and put in the different two liter. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the no, it's currently a two five. Oh, it's got the, the two five turbo? truck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're kind of phasing out the two in the regular cars because uh, that whole company is right. Yeah. All right. So what's your pick? All right. Well, because I'm being put on the spot here. And I did not prepare ahead of time. I should point out to, to listeners and viewers. Um, I'm going to go in a slightly similar direction because you mentioned N and I think of Kona N. And Kona N was a hilarious ball of fun. And so in that same mindset, I want a brand to take their hot hatch drivetrain and throw it in a small crossover. And Toyota seems like the right choice there. There's a GR Corolla. So realistically it can't be that hard to make a gr corolla cross and i found we've we've driven the corolla cross in multiple times now and while i don't really enjoy the regular gas model the hybrid is good and it's pretty fun to chuck around on an autocross as i learned a few months ago so a gr version oh my god that'd just be a, a ball of fun and it would probably look really good too when you started that i my mind went to a different manufacturer and then i started thinking started having a Images of a HRV type R in my head. Oh, oh, yeah, that'd be different, different. Yeah. Um, could, <laughs> I mean, if you transferred the wheels and the everything, like and the brakes, like that could be like the best performing crossover ever. And the wing. With, and you have, have to take the Type R wing. Oh, that's a bigger one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, 
Uh, we'll wrap up with sort of what's next. So uh, this week, we spent a lot of time working on a three SUV comparison of three premium SUVs. So we wanted to see how the Lexus TX matches up with probably its two biggest competitors. So we got the Infiniti QX60 and the Acura MDX. We're not going to give anything away. We haven't fully decided yet, but I will say it was very surprising. It was. It was. It was also surprising because we couldn't keep them together for very long because if you kept those three luxury SUVs in the same place, suddenly real estate agents would just start like crowding us. It's really weird. I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> it is weird that the three are such a sort of sub little segment and they're all going for like the same market, but they all end up being very different and feel. But anyway, we'll, we'll cover that more down the road. Um, yes. Next week, uh, I am off on a trip to test some winter tires on a mountain, so no better place for that. You are going somewhere equally cold? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, myself and a few other journalists are taking two Toyotas, and we are just shooting straight up north. So we're traveling from here all the way up to Hudson's Bay, and then we will be... Uh, well, you know what? I, I don't want to give away too many details either. It's going to be an adventure. I'm really looking forward to it because I've never been that far north in Canada. And it should make for some pretty stunning scenery. Also, we're taking a Prius because the Prius is all-wheel drive now. And, and I think that in itself is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, and then when I get back, I am in a Land Rover Defender V8, which makes sense because I've been in a couple Defenders. I was on the Defender truck last year. And when I had the 130, I declared that was the best one because the third row was so usable and the extra length wasn't a big deal. And it had the um, the mild hybrid turbo six. So this is a V8 and it's a 110. So now I'll find out if my original impressions are right or if I change my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I have a very different sort of well, I, I don't want to say SUV because it doesn't even come with all-wheel drive. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to it, the Buick and Vista. So that's new for this year. It is paired with the Chevrolet Trax, which, like the Prius, had one of the best glow-ups last year in terms of a new generation. And so it's front drive, but it's a coupe over. It's very affordably priced. And yeah, I'm going to be spending some time with that. And I can't wait to see what it's all about. Yeah, it sounds a little crazy, but I'm a little jealous. Uh, I love, really like the tracks, and I saw the Envision's um, official debut last year in Detroit. So, yeah, you have to tell me what it's like, and it's something I'm sure we will bring back for some sort of comparo down the road. Absolutely. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we had a lot of fun, and we'll be back next week. Uh, this is the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors, and we'll see you later. Thank you once again for listening and watching The Auto Guide Show, brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.